0: Okay, Just a wee sample for you, just to wake you up in case you were falling asleep there. Uh, so, move, movie, and who sung it? Movie, what movie was that in? Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Okay, that's a starter for 10. That's just to get the old grey matter going. Okay, uh, you'll, If you've seen the movie at all, whether you were young and you saw it, or recently with children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, friends, uh, you will know that the, the dwarves sing that song as they head out to the work in the mines with carrying their shovels and their pickaxes with big smiles on their faces, heading off with joy and purpose. And that's how we all approach going to work, isn't it? Uh, that's how every single one of us go about work. Uh, well, recently I came across a, um, a slight variation of those lyrics on a bumper sticker in the back of a car that said, I owe... I owe It's off to work, I go. It's a slight change of the lyrics, but it gives a very different message about work, doesn't it? Uh, A very negative message. Work is a necessary evil, uh, a drudgery that we've got to go through. Drudgery has replaced joy, and necessity replaces purpose. Uh, And I think those are very two common attitudes to work. And so my question as I begin is, what is your attitude uh, as you wake up on a Monday morning? Uh, Are you someone who wakes up before the alarm, rips off the covers, jumps out with excitement at the prospects and the opportunities that lie before you that day? There might be one or two of you who are here who do that. I think for most of us, uh, we hit the alarm, and then we hit the snooze button, and then we hit the snooze button, and then we hit the snooze button, uh, and we try to get as long in bed, and then the dawning realization of what lies before you, the groan and the growing dread uh, of what lies before you at work for the rest of the week. Um, Those are, I think, two of the major... Attitudes. I think we see in our work. There are those who are addicted to work. They live, we all know people like this, they live for their work. They're absolutely consumed by their work and they can barely ever take any time off. That's one group of people. Uh, the other group of people are those who view work as a necessary evil, um, a means of paying the bills, okay? And that's about it, um, But as I come to think about, and as we come to think about work and our work uh, this evening, I was rebuked in my work uh, this week by this quote. Um, It's by a guy called Doug Sherman in his book, Your Work Matters to God. Uh, he writes the average person spends anywhere from forty to seventy five percent of his life in work or work related tasks. He spends another thirty or thirty five on his family and personal interests, and perhaps he spends as much as five or if he 's very spiritual ten uh, percent on church or religious activities. Yet most Christian teaching addresses those areas in precisely the opposite proportion." A very heavy emphasis on religious matters, some help in regard to marriage and family, but little that speaks directly to the workplace. Okay? And I think that's probably true as I even look back through my back catalogue of teaching. I think we tend to focus on the spiritual elements uh, of our lives uh, in church, that's what we talk about. Um, and so what I want to try to do is readdress that balance uh, tonight. And the Bible has lots and lots to say about work. And although I'm trying, to, as always, trying to squeeze too much in tonight, um, we don't have time to cover everything and do a comprehensive study of work. And so what I want to do, as we've done over the last few weeks, is to focus on Genesis 1 and 2, to sort of limit our study, uh, and to c- explore what God's original design for work is. And I think that Genesis one and two gives us two very clear principles that challenges those two distortions of work that we've just explored just for a moment. Uh, for those who undervalue work, for those who undervalue work and view it as a necessary evil, uh, Genesis one and two says, work is a good part of God's creation. Do not undervalue work. It is a good thing. Um, And then the second, for those who overvalue work, consumed by it, addicted to it, uh, the Bible, uh, or sorry, Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, uh, wants to say, work is not the goal of your life. Work is not the goal of your life. Rest is. Okay, we'll come back to that in a few moments. So let's dive into these two principles then. And just to give you, to sort of try to alleviate some of your fears, we're going to spend much longer on the first one than the second one. Okay, but here's where we're going. First, work is a good part of God's creation. Work is a good part of God's creation. As I said, for many people, uh, work uh, has nothing good about it in their thinking. It's a necessary evil that separates The weekends, that's about it. They find no satisfaction in their work. They do the bare minimum they have to do to get a paycheck to fund what they really want to do on the weekend uh, or in their leisure time. And so the problem for many people with work is that it is not leisure. That's their problem. Um, So they undervalue work. Probably some of us here who think of work in similar terms. But I think there's a particular Christian flavor of this, uh, and that is undervaluing work because we view it as less spiritual. Um, There's many Christians who suppose or assume That God is only really interested in the spiritual parts of our lives. He's interested in our prayer life. He's interested in our reading of the Bible. He's interested in our church attendance and our evangelism. And that's really about it. He's not really bothered by what we do during the week or how we do it. Um, But again, I want to suggest that that thinking is not right. Uh, So there's some out there that think that God doesn't really care about my business or my work in the office or the school or the hospital. Um, But again, I want us to see that as we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God is the creator. Uh, He made everything. There is no spiritual, secular divide. God is interested in the whole thing. He cares about the whole thing. And so the Creator God is interested in all of life, including your work. So what I want to do, just for a minute or two, is I want to explore three reasons why work is a good thing. Your physical work is a good thing. First reason. First reason work is a good thing is because God is a worker. God is a worker. And so as we're introduced to God in the very first sentence of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We discover that God is a worker. And then in the rest of chapter 1, we see what kind of work he's involved in. Uh, We see that he uh, designs and makes stuff. He is a master craftsman. Uh, We see that God categorizes and names things. He is a Scientist, a biologist. We see that uh, God um, examines things and pronounces them to be good. He's like a quality control engineer or a surveyor. Uh, We see that God uh, is someone who gives roles and responsibilities to his creatures, and so he's like the most effective manager. Uh, And so we see in lots of different ways that God is. A worker and that means that our physical work has profound significance and value to God, just in passing it 's worth noting that God does not get paid for his work god doesn 't get paid for his work, and I think that should be a tremendous encouragement uh, to all of us who are not getting paid we 're stay at home parents, we are students. We are unemployed and desperately applying for jobs. We are actively retired. Work doesn't just have value if you get paid for it. No, work has value in itself, um, and we see that God is that kind of worker that uh, God cares about work, and so we are not permitted to think that work is just a necessary evil, a punishment that came in after the fall. Not at all. Um, And by the way, that also means that all kinds of work have value and dignity and worth. There's a common assumption in our culture in the West that actually it's only white-collar workers that have any white-collar work that has any meaning and value and significance. And so if you're a manager, a lawyer, a teacher, a designer, a doctor, okay, you're doing something meaningful and significant. Uh, But if you're a blue collar worker, that's quite undignified really. So if you're a mechanic or a bin lorry driver or a dental hygienist or you work uh, in housekeeping in a hotel, you're a cleaner, you're a cook, then actually that's something, well, you can do it for a while, but you really should try to do something better than that. You should try to move on and upgrade. What I want you to see just just in passing is as you look through this chapter, just notice how God works. He forms this physical world. He plants the garden. He forms the man out of the dust of the ground. Metaphorically, God is a God who's doing manual labor, He's getting metaphorically his hands dirty uh, as he works with this world. And so manual labor should be viewed as just having just as much dignity, value, and worth as white collar workers. And if God the Father is a worker, so is God the Son. Uh, in when he became incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he worked for thirty years in secular not glamorous uh, work as a carpenter uh, working again with his hands uh, and so we are meant to understand that God is a God who's working in the whole spiritual area but he also cares about the physical uh, and so our work of whatever kind manual or intellectual menial uh, or anything else if it's done for the good of other people, if it's done for the glory of God uh, it. Takes on great dignity and worth and significance. And so the first thing I want you to see, the first reason that work is a good thing is because God is a worker. Second thing I want you to see, second reason, is that we are created to work. Like him, we are created to work like him. God is the master craftsman. He creates and designs, makes, builds, constructs this world, this universe. And the pinnacle of his creation, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, are human beings who are made in his image, made in his image. Uh, And then in Genesis 2, verse 15, uh, we're told that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Part of what it means to be made in the image of a working God is that we are made to work. I wonder if you ever thought about this. We have a greater capacity for work than we do for rest and holiday. It's just a fact. It's just the way we're built. We can handle more work than we can holiday. We are built to work. uh, And work is a good thing, Um. And we see uh, how God works then in Genesis uh, chapter 1, just at the very end we read these words of Genesis 1, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God, This is God sitting back after a very busy, the literally the most productive week ever. Uh, he creates the universe and he sits back and he effectively says, not bad if I don't say so myself. Good job, um, and he takes great this is this great sense of satisfaction and fulfillment from his work and that is how we are made uh, and how we should view our work uh, that we should find uh, significant or we should find satisfaction and fulfillment uh, in our work and it 's maybe surprising for some people that actually God, when he built a perfect world, part of that perfect world was that Adam and Eve were to be working. I don't know how you imagine Adam and Eve spending their time um, in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, perhaps we're tempted to think, you know, we've read too many children's books, and we're tempted to think they're just sort of lying back, working on their tan with lots of pets sort of running around. But no, they were working, and work is a good thing. Uh, they were created to work um, and get great joy and, and uh, satisfaction and fulfillment Uh, From their work. And if you know anyone who has been cut off from work because they're physically ill, because they've been made redundant, uh, or they've retired, then they quickly discover that actually you need work for your physical, emotional, even spiritual health and thriving. We need work. But with that said, Uh, Because of the rebellion, we do not live in the garden. We do not live in the garden anymore. Uh, Because of the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who decided that they knew better than God and declared their independence from him and did not want God ruling over their lives, the consequences of their rebellion were enormous, uh, irreversible, and toxic. Uh, We see that everything has affected uh, by their rebellion uh, against God. We see that childbearing is affected, uh, and we see that gardening, which I'll try and explain in a moment, I think is symbolic for all of work, uh, is profoundly affected. There's no such thing anymore outside the garden as perfectly satisfying work. Work now always involves Always involves fatigue, frustration, conflict, waste, uh, self, um, um, selfish ambition. Uh, what was once all good and all joy is now a mixed bag at best. But nevertheless, it is possible for us to find satisfaction and fulfilment in the midst of our frustration. Uh, because that is, uh, we are called to work like God. And that, that satisfaction is not just the salary that you're paid or the promotion that you get from your work. It's a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in the work itself. Uh, I think uh, Tim Chester uh, captures this uh, really well uh, in his quote, where he says this in his little work, little book on gospel-centered work. He says, It's a pl- it is a, it's a pleasure that we can and should find in our work the clean floor the student who grasps an idea the empty in tray the satisfied customer the pleasure is an echo of the pleasure of God when he saw all he had made was very good and we find delight in a job well done that delight is an echo of the delight that the wisdom of God found in crafting the world. And so when a craftsman runs his hand along a finished piece of wood or your in-tray uh, is empty, uh, the, the delivery has been given to the customer on time, the toys have been tidied away, whatever it is, we are meant to find a sense of fulfillment uh, and pleasure uh, in our work. And when we do that, we are actually sharing in the delight Uh, of our creator now a word of wisdom here uh, and for us to be realistic at this point we are all different we're all different we're all made in the image of God yes we're all called to work and take care of our little corner of the of the world but we all do it in different ways because we're all different Uh, and that means if we are to have any hope of finding this satisfaction in our work we've got to cut with the grain of who God made us uniquely to be. Let me give you three examples of where this can go wrong. If you are an introvert and you go into car sales where you've got to spend time working with people 10 hours a day, that is going to grind you down you're not going to find satisfaction in your work. If you're a natural academic, someone who loves to read and think and write, taking a job in manual labor will grind your soul. Uh, If you are a natural extrovert and people person and you take a job where you've got to spend all your time behind a computer writing research papers and policy documents, that is going to drive you nuts. We've got to cut with the grain of who God has made us, To be, and I came across. If if you are starting in the workplace or thinking of uh, changing your job, uh, I came across some of these questions in John Mark Comer's brilliant little book, uh, *Garden City*, where he talks. It's all about work and rest. Excellent, Uh, but he he throws these um, diagnostic questions uh, in. For us to begin to think who are we who's how's god wired me what job should i be doing and he advises us to ask some of these questions what do you love what are you good at and bad at what does your world need does your proposed job contribute to human flourishing Um, what are the open doors in your life what is god blessing What are people who know you saying? What do they say you're good at, bad at? Yeah, you should try a bit more of that. No, no, I don't think that's working. I don't think you're any good at that. Um, And what is the spirit stirring in your heart? But it really should be a possibility uh, that we should find a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in our work. Because we are created to work uh, like God. Third reason why work is a good thing. God is a worker. We're created to work with him or like him. And then thirdly, we're created to work with him. We're created to work with him. I think we're familiar with this idea of working in partnership with God in the whole area of salvation. I think we're kind of familiar with that idea. We all recognize that if for someone to become a Christian, that has to be, uh, God, it has to be God the Father's plan uh, for their life. Uh, It's dependent on the work of the the Son, his self-sacrificial saving work on the cross. It's dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit opening their eyes, softening their heart, bringing them to faith. We recognize for someone to be converted, it's God's work from beginning to end. But nevertheless, the Bible is very clear in God's wonderful sovereignty, he has chosen to really use us in that work. It's in response to our prayers and our preaching and our sharing of our faith that people will come to saving faith. Uh, We are called to cooperate with God uh, in the saving of souls. He invites us to do that. And I want to suggest that here in Genesis 1 and 2, we see something similar in the area of how God is uh, developing and working out his plan for creation. Uh, As well, we see that God places the, the man and the woman in a garden to work it. So when God creates a good world, it has untapped potential that is only unlocked through physical work. Again, Tim Chester puts it really well in his little book where he says God gives us a mandate to create, invent, explore, discover, develop, produce, buy, and sell. God has graciously invited us to participate with him in the task of producing a beautiful world that brings him glory. God is the creator, but he calls us to be cultivators in partnership with him. Um, And we see uh, this call to, to work in partnership with God in Genesis 1 verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Again, I think there's two elements to the command that God gives there. What what theologians have called the the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. Uh, two elements are number one to fill the earth. That sounds like a strange command. Have babies. That sounds like. Did we really need a command for that? Should sure we could have worked that out. But it's more than just make babies. Uh, This command carries with it the idea that we are called to to make civilization. Uh, We are called to make churches and schools and governments, social services and countries. We are called to make civilization. And that is part of the way that we exercise our rule, God-given rule, in this world. Uh, We are also called, secondly, then, to subdue the earth, subdue the earth You see, what human beings are called to be is not... uh, Human work is not just merely to be a park ranger. Park rangers, what do they do? They simply preserve what's already there and make sure it doesn't get damaged in any way. Uh, The opposite of that, of of course, is to exploit what's there. Adam wasn't called to just dig up the garden and just pave over it. Um, No, he he was called to work to develop the potential of the world. And so we are called, human beings are called, in a sense, all of us are called, to be gardeners. To be gardeners. What do gardeners do? Well, gardeners, they, they dig and they plant and they prune and they develop uh, what's uh, already there. They, um, they harness the potential and the raw materials that they've been given so that it might flourish and produce food and flowers and beauty. And in that sense, we are all, I think that's a pattern for all human work. We are all called to take the raw materials of this world, to rearrange them, to make them useful for other people, fruitful and beautiful. Again, Tim Keller, in his little book uh, on work, Every Good Endeavor, says this. Farming takes the physical material of soil and seed and produces food. Musician, takes the physics physics sound and rearranges them uh, into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom and clean up a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity when we take the unformed human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. We are called to take the raw materials of this world in whatever area we work, to take the raw materials of this world to rearrange them in such a way that we create fruitfulness and beauty. And... When we do that, we are working in partnership with God. He is the creator, but he calls us to be cultivators in partnership with him. And so for those three reasons, work is a good thing, a wonderful privilege that brings blessing to other people and can bring satisfaction and fulfillment to us. It's a good thing. Work is a good part of God's creation. But of course, the danger is we fall off the other, the other side. And we so are captivated by our work that we end up trying to find our identity in that. Uh, We end up trying to find our satisfaction in work, uh, our significance rather, in work and our identity in work. And again, Genesis uh, chapter 2 is incredibly, uh, 1 and 2 are incredibly helpful by teaching us the second big principle. Work is not the goal. Of life, work is not the goal of life. Now it's a real pity that whoever was uh, splitting up the the Bible into chapters and verses decided to split uh, the creation story, uh, chapter one, and end it at verse thirty-one. Because you can see even from the layout of our English Bibles that there's a little heading at verse four, because it's actually Genesis two verses one, two, and three complete the story. The climax of God's creation uh, is not, of the creation story, is not the, the, the creating of men and women. The climax of the story, the goal of creation, is actually rest that we find in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creation. If you start reading through uh, Genesis chapter 1, you will notice that actually there is um, no, there's a few phrases that are repeated all the way through. And one of the phrases that's repeated at the end of every day is, and there was evening, and there was morning, the whatever day. Uh, and we're actually expecting that at the end of uh, the seventh day. But it's, it's, it's absent. It's not there. In one sense, the seventh day doesn't end. Um, in one sense, we get to have a glimpse of what it's like to live in the seventh day as chapter 2 unfolds. Because you see rest in the Bible. Sabbath is the word that's used here. Uh, Rest is not doing nothing. Rest is not inactivity. God was not inactive on the seventh day. If he was, the whole universe would have fallen apart. God is actively sustaining everything. What rest really is, in essence, is this idea of taking satisfaction, finding peace, delighting in uh, and enjoying relationship. And I think we then see this theme that that God invites human beings to enter into his rest uh, in Genesis chapter 2, that they too are called to not be inactive, they have all sorts of work to do, but they are to find peace and satisfaction and enjoy relationship with God. And we see that symbolized, but the two trees at the very center of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it's in relationship with God we can have life. It is God who has the right to define what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And human beings flourish, find peace and satisfaction and relationship when we trust his word and obey him. This then becomes, uh, oh, sorry, just in passing, I, I, I think we, we catch a glimpse of this in, in this little story that I heard just this week where uh, someone on a train was asked, Who are you? Uh, and his reply was very simple um, I am a Christian thinly disguised as an accountant. I am a Christian thinly disguised as an accountant. And what he's really saying there is what is most significant about me is not the job I do, but it's the relationship I have. And that I, I want to suggest that is understanding rest properly. Rest is the goal of creation, not the work that they do, that Adam and Eve were called to do. They, that was not their focus. Their focus was to have a relationship with God And therefore, this seventh day pattern becomes the basis for the fourth commandment, as many of you will know. And so when Moses is writing the Ten Commandments, when he gets to commandment number four, we read these words. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. uh, But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, Many of you know that actually there's all sorts of debate in Christian circles uh, between Jesus-loving, Bible-loving Christians, how we interpret that commandment. Some view it as a direct command to us today that if you do not take a full day off every week, you are sinning, Um, and that we should therefore observe that command. And then there's all sorts of debate over what day that should be, Saturday, Sunday, and then what activities are ruled out. Okay, that's one way to read that. Uh, another way to read that is to see this as pointing forward to the rest, that Jesus, the Sabbath that Jesus alone can provide. As we lay down our self-justifying efforts and we come to him to find rest and relationship. And so Colossians 2 verses 16 and 17 says these words, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you, by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or new moon celebration or sabbath day these are a shadow of the things that were to come the reality however is found in christ and so there's others who say no we don't have any command to keep the the sabbath anymore it is all fulfilled in christ and as i often do i want to suggest a third way a third way I want to suggest that we are not commanded, it is not a command given to us, but the Sabbath is wisdom for us. It is wisdom for us that we live according to the creation pattern of one day off in seven. Uh, And there are three reasons why it is really important that we observe, uh, not obey, but enjoy uh, a Sabbath day every week. First, so that we recharge our batteries, we recall our rescue, and remember our God. We recharge our batteries. Every week we get a reminder that we are creatures and we need rest. We need rest. We are not, uh, uh, the world will not fall apart if we take some time off. Uh, We are creatures. Um, that uh, God is the creator Um, of course we mustn't be lazy we must work diligently uh, try to work effectively efficiently as we can during the week but we need to take one day off with no to-do list with nothing we feel we have to accomplish and not feel guilty about it not feel guilty about it Uh, and uh, if you get the time to read John Mark Homer's book, he has some very helpful advice for how you do that. He would suggest, for example, do not fill up your Sabbath day with unpaid work. (laughs) Uh, He would suggest that if you're to, if Sabbath is about enjoying what you have, then uh, try to avoid things that make you feel dissatisfied with what you have. Try to avoid going shopping. Try to avoid going onto websites where you can buy stuff because that would just, nurture a dissatisfied attitude. No, we need to find, we need to be recharged. Secondly, we need to recall our rescue. If you get the chance to read uh, Deuteronomy 5, where the Ten Commandments are repeated to the next generation, uh, the Fourth Commandment's really interesting because actually you're given a different reason why they should obey it. Moses doesn't talk about creation, In Deuteronomy 5, he says you should obey the Sabbath day because you were once slaves. You were once slaves. And you had to work all the time. And now you get a day off every week. Uh, And again, I think that's a wonderful reminder of the rescue that they've been given. A weekly reminder of their rescue. And that is why we as Christians commit to meeting together like this where we listen to God's word, where we're reminded of his wonderful rescue supremely for us in Christ Jesus. Um, And we remind ourselves of God's grace and commitment to us because we need to be refreshed, not just physically, we need to be refreshed spiritually. We need to recharge our batteries, recall our rescue, and then thirdly, remember our God. Remember our God. This is sort of related to the first point, but it's really the idea that we remember that there is a God and that you are not him. There is a God and you are not him. Uh, it's a chance for us to just hand over all our anxieties to God. Realize we're, we're not in control anyway. God is the one who provides everything for us. Uh, we live under his roof. We drink his drink. We eat his food. We breathe his oxygen. He provides everything for us. Uh, So stop worrying. Stop stressing. uh, Because you have a God who is powerful. And he's good. And he's good. And so what we see in this chapter, just as we close, what we see in this chapter is uh, a wonderful, beautiful picture of work that sets us free from feeling we need to overwork. We need to overwork uh, because um, God has provided for all our needs. Uh, We should find our only hope for our sense of identity and security is not found in your career. Uh, It's not found in the good opinion of other people uh, about how well you're performing. Your only hope for finding real satisfaction and peace and joy is actually found in your relationship with God. Uh, It helps us avoid undervaluing work. We're not to be lazy. We're not to be lazy. Uh, Our all-productive activity is valued by God. We are partnering with him in creating order and beauty and flourishing in this world. And as we work, we unlock the potential that is all around us. But it's only as we keep God front and center that we will avoid those two dangers of overvaluing work or undervaluing work uh, and realize that we can be set free from both an addiction or laziness um, by finding our rest uh, in God. I've just primed the pump there for all. So I'm sure I've primed all sorts of questions for you with regards to work, but we're going to have to stop there. Let me pray for us uh, before we uh, sing again.